beginning in Proverbs 16, verse 19. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learning to his lips. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are always the ways of death. He that laboreth, laboreth for himself, for his mouth craveth it of him. An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him in the way that is not good. He shutteth his eyes to devise froward things. Moving his lips, he bringeth evil to pass. The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. A wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the brethren. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamity shall not go unpunished. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Excellent speech becometh not a fool, much less do lying lips a prince. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it, whitherso it, it turneth, it prospereth. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter of separate very friends. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. The evil man seeketh only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent unto him. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Whosoever rewardeth evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. 
The beginning of strife is as one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they are both an abomination to the Lord. Wherefore, there is a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So far the reading of God's word, verse 6, is our text this morning. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this morning. This is the Lord's Day. But Hallmark also makes this a holiday called Father's Day. What better way to spend the day than going to God's Word to hear what God's Word says about fathers and grandfathers and children and children's children. This proverb that we have, Proverbs 17, verse 6, sets forth the role of fathers and grandfathers and children in families. And what I want you to take note of, I'm going to begin my sermon with it and I will end my sermon with it, what a gift. What a gift God gives in giving godly fathers to you and godly grandfathers to you. And what a gift God gives to us men giving us godly children. And we must not take those gifts for granted but highly value it and give thanks to God for it. But not only be thankful, but also that implies a calling. A calling lest we bring a shame upon ourselves. And our text calls us to examine the calling that we have in our homes to be a crown and glory, to be a blessing to the other members of the family. Our text views the promises of God and the calling of God to live as his people, especially in our Christian homes. There is the calling of our children. Children, you are to crown your fathers by your behavior, by your attitudes, by your life. Parents, grandparents, are also to be the glory of their children and their grandchildren, someone that they can look forward and upward to and follow their example. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? And therefore, there is that calling. There is a man or a woman who is a shame to their children. Think of fathers or grandparents who because they have abused little ones or helpless ones, what a shame they are to their whole families, to their children. And also at times, children can be a shame also to their parents. I'm thinking of Proverbs 19, 
Verse 26. He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth reproach. So our text calls us to examine the calling that we have in our godly homes to be a crown and glory, a blessing to the other members of our families. So that's my theme, the crown and glory of covenant homes. Notice the meaning. Second of all, the message. And thirdly, the mandate. Easy to remember, right? The three M's. Meaning, message, and then mandate. We have a description, don't we, of a covenant home. Three believing generations. For you have grandparents, the old men. You have fathers mentioned. And you have children and children's children mentioned. And yes, it is about fathers and grandfathers because the male pronoun is used there. It's talking about now the head of the home. This is what God has to say to us. And we need to listen to that. We need to listen to that because in this wilderness that we live in, in this world, there is the destruction of marriage in the family. There is the redefining of marriage. There is divorce for unbiblical reasons. There are blended families. There is feminism. There is also all kinds of homosexual acts now being touted as something good and even to be proud about. And over against that sinful world, what they have to say about the covenant home or about marriage, we need to hear God's word. God's word involves promises. Promises to grandfathers. What did the text say? Children's children are the crown of old men. Even more than having my own children in the home, I love being a grandparent. I love when they come over to visit, they give you all a hug, run and sit in your lap. What a joy. Children's children are the crown of old men. And, now, the glory of children. That which children can rejoice in is when they have a godly father and a godly grandparent. We rejoice in the wonderful thing That God not only saves us individually, but God works in the lines of generations. He blesses families and their children and their children's children. That is such a rich part of our Reformed faith. It is the Reformed faith that celebrates the covenant. Even though not all Reformed churches teach the same thing about the covenant, Most churches have a conditional covenant that God will bless the home if the children do something or the parents do something. Ours is an unconditional covenant. 
not based upon us, but it is based upon our Father in heaven who has chosen for himself a people and calls them out of darkness and works salvation in their hearts and in their lives, who holds them and preserves them and never lets them go. And when they fall into sin, he comes to them and he takes them back to himself in conversion and repentance of sin. God's covenant is a covenant of friendship that comes into our homes. Our homes, our covenant homes. What does that mean? Well, we need to look at God himself first of all. Look at the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as they live and love one another. We read early in the Bible, let us make man in our image. We see the cooperation of the three persons of the Trinity in creation. And that same cooperation of God in the redemption of his people. God has elected us. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. And the Holy Spirit now applies those gifts to us. Yes, our knowledge of our God is that he is a family God in himself. And now the amazing thing, the wonderful thing is that God extends that covenant beyond himself in that he makes a covenant of grace with his people in Jesus Christ. And what is that covenant? It's not a kind of contract where God is willing to do something if we do something, and if we blow it, the covenant is cut off. That's banks. Those are treaties among nations. But God's covenant with his people is, as he said to Abram, I will be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee in their generations. I will be a God unto thee. It's a relationship of intense friendship and fellowship. And that's why we can have our worship services. Beautiful dialogue. Our God speaking to us and we speak to him. Our Christian homes are used in Scripture to describe that relationship that God has in himself and also that, dis- that description of the relationship that God has with his church. That's one of the images in Scripture for the covenant. The other, of course, is marriage, isn't it? Where two, a man and a woman, live together in intimate relationship because Christ... Also, as our bridegroom lives with us, his bride, and is going to take us to glory with him. That beautiful doctrine of the covenant that God makes with us through Jesus Christ. It is a sovereign, it is a gracious work. And now that same life that God has with us, his people, in grace, in Christ Jesus, is also the relationship in our homes. Father and mother who love one another, believe in Jesus Christ, 
have children and they instruct them, they teach them, they love them, they nurture them, and children loving those parents, thanking God for those parents, or even thanking God for their grandparents. So we have in our text an ordinance of God for our families, doesn't we? A man leaves his father and his mother, and he cleaves to his wife. And they desire to have children, children that they can now teach, and they can instruct and nurture, so that when they grow up, they also look for a godly spouse. And they have children, and they nurture and teach and instruct them. And so it's not society that gives structure to our homes, but is God. And the application, beloved, of that is the importance of the family unit. That the family unit loves one another and spends time with one another. It is the most important structure and relationship here on earth. And this is the truth, that God, it is God who continues his work of salvation in the lines of our generations. What a beautiful truth. We do not view our children like children of the world. We do not view our children as little vipers. They are not the object of evangelism. They are not treated as if they were ungodly or unbelieving. But rather, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. What a promise. That's missing in the world that we live in, and it's even missing in much of the church world today. Because they're not understanding that covenant that God saves his people in generations. And so parents are not diligent instructing their children in catechism or in the home. They say it's up to the children later on to decide what they want to believe and what they want to do. How sad that is. And that is why many of the churches in the land are filled with hoary men. That means bald or white-haired men and old ladies, the younger generations, not continuing in worship with God. And the fault comes in the home where parents don't take diligently their need to instruct their children, to love them, to nurture them, to bring them up in the fear of the Lord. What a calling is ours. What an important calling. So that's the meaning here of Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. We have these three different generations mentioned here and that's God's doing. 
Now let's look closer at that term, because in that term we see children's children are the crown of old men. So that's one word we're going to look at. And the glory of children are their fathers. Let's look at those two terms. First of all, crown. Boys and girls, when we think of a crown, we think of a king who wears a crown, or a queen also, but a king who wears a crown, and it's a sign of rule or authority and, and honor. But the crown is also a word that is used of honoring someone. So the athlete who wins the competition wears a crown or a garland. The soldier who abounds in his labors at the battlefield is called a hero. Special guests at feasts are given the best seats in the house. And that's really the idea here also. This crown, this, this wonderful, attractive honor that one has. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, for what is our hope, or our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. The Apostle Paul there is talking to Timothy and to others and to the believers in Thessalonica. He says, this is how I look at you. You are my crown. You are what I'm going to be honored with. I brought you the message, and God blessed that message to your hearts, and you are believers in Christ Jesus. There's no greater joy or honor that I could have than that. And as your pastor, I would say the same thing to you this morning. What is my life all about? What is my crown and my joy Dear, dear saints in various generations coming to know the Lord, to love the Lord, and to live for his glory. Crown. And the other word is glory. It has the same kind of idea, that of adornment, or what makes one attractive. And it is now here these children in the home that love their parents and love their grandparents. And it is fathers in the home that care for their children, that nurture those children, who love those children, who spend time with those children. The point of this proverb, Proverbs 17, verse 6, the covenant home Grandchildren are an honor and glory to their grandparents. Grandparents and parents give glory to the children. We read of that also in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul calls Timothy his beloved son. You will remember, boys and girls, that Timothy was really brought into the faith by his mother and by his grandmother. Lois and Eunice. Sadly, the father is not mentioned, a Greek man. But the Apostle Paul now takes it, took Timothy under his wing. 
Went on his missionary journeys with him. Later on, leaves him as a pastor in places. And the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, you are my crown and my glory, my son. Now, these children and these children's children and these fathers and grandfathers of our text, this truth that they are a crown and a glory is not a universal truth. Not every parent or grandparent is a crown of rejoicing and glory to the other members of the family. Not every child is a crown and a glory to their parents. Certainly not in the world, but not even in the church. We know at times of sons and daughters who walk away from the faith, want nothing to do with. And we have known these last couple of years only too well, haven't we, of fathers or grandfathers, whether they be ministers or elders, Sunday school teachers, deacons, or just a parent in the home, have not been a crown in glory, but rather they've been brought real shame, shame to the mother, shame to the wife, Shame to the family. Think a moment of Solomon. He was not a crown of joy to David and to the house of David with his multiplication of wives and serving idols. Rather, God comes and he says, I'm going to take ten of those tribes away from you, Solomon, because of your unbelief. But I'm going to leave two of them for David's sake. Rehoboam was not at all a crown of glory for the house of David, was he? He listened to the young advisors rather than the older advisors, and it caused a schism in the nation. Or think a moment of King Manasseh. Boys and girls, do you remember Hezekiah? He's told to get his house in order because he's going to die and, and he's crying to the Lord. Why? Not because he was afraid of death, but because there was war still going on. They needed a strong leader. And number two, there was no seed yet to follow him. And in that next 15 years of his life, he is given that seed in Manasseh. And when Manasseh is 12 years old, Solomon dies. Thankfully, Manasseh didn't see, or, or, thankfully, Hezekiah did not see the reign of Manasseh, which for most of it was a dirty shame, brought all kinds of trouble to the nation, serving other gods. And only in the very last part of his life, when he was in jail, is he saved? He tries to re uh, change things, but is unable to. Think a moment of parents who are ashamed to their children. What would Hezekiah really be able to say about his father Ahaz? That Ahaz would not believe the Lord when he said he would give him a victory over the enemy. He didn't want that sign from the Lord, the most beautiful sign possible in the Bible. 
that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Or think a moment of Gehazi, that servant of the prophet. How he stole, he told lies in order to get goods for himself. And what did he do? He brought leprosy to himself and to his whole family. There is much shame with these sinful parents or sinful children. We read in Proverbs 17, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Some of us are weighed down, aren't we, with thoughts of rebellious children or sinful parents. And may we find comfort in God's word that God forgives us our sin in the way of repentance. Why is there this shame even in our covenant homes? And the answer is, first of all, because not all that are born in Christian homes are true members of God's covenant. We treat all of our children as God's children, but we do not presume that they are all covenant members. For we know that the line of election reprobation cuts right through our homes also, doesn't it? So that there is carnal and reprobate children born in our Christian homes and our covenant homes. Reprobate seed that show themselves as such. Let me give just two illustrations. Think of Abraham and Sarah because she could not bear and they didn't believe completely the promise of God. He takes Hagar. They have a son, Ishmael. And when God promises Isaac, then Abram says, Oh, my son Ishmael. But you remember what a shame he was? How he would taunt the child of God, Isaac, so that Sarah finally has to say to her husband, Get him out of my home. And God says, Yes, listen to your wife, Sarah. Or think a moment of Esau. Yes, he was the pride of Isaac for all the wrong reasons. That's because of the hatred in Esau's heart that the home is divided and Jacob has to flee for his life. Not all the members of our home are elect. And the reprobate will show themselves as they react against the word of God, finally turning their back on it in bitterness and hatred. But there's a second reason why there is also this shame in covenant homes. Because true members of the covenant, that is believers, don't always live in a way that brings honor to the Christian home. David did not bring honor to his home with his adultery with Bathsheba. There's trouble in his home with his many wives. You'll remember Ahithophel who was one of David's counselors who turned against him and became a counselor for Absalom? Why? Why did Ahithophel do that? He was the grandparent of Bathsheba. And in his heart, he harbored some hatred toward David for what he did to Bathsheba's real husband, Uriah. 
Think a moment of Solomon. No, he did not live a perfect life. In fact, it was a reproach what he would do with the wicked women that he married and the temples he would build to their idols. No, all of, our, all of us, none of us are pure and without sin, are we? And Solomon is very realistic about that. He has no delusions that there's no sins at all in our lives. Listen to him a moment in Proverbs 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from sin. It's a rhetorical question, meaning no one can say that. Or again, Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And that is why we read in the rest of that verse, the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Yes, we are all sinners. And there are times when we do things that do bring shame to the family and shame to the cause of Jesus Christ rather than being a crown of glory. So now the question comes to you and to me this morning with this text. How do we crown our families with glory? How do we do that? What brings glory and a crown, honor, to Christian families? And I'm going to begin with saying what it's not. It is not through earthly accomplishments. It's not because our children are real good in athletics. It's not because one of them is real wealthy. It's not because of a position that they have in society. They're a doctor. It's not because they went to a particular school. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But the measure of a person's greatness is not what is the same in the eyes of the world. The eyes of the world are going to brag about these things of our children or our parents did this and our parents did that. But rather, the measure of greatness is their godliness. Their godliness. Proverbs 16, verse 31, the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. So grandparents are a crown to their children's children if they know the Lord and they love the Lord and they've dedicated their life that they're going to serve it and their life looks like it. They're influenced. They've been a good example. Children are also a crown of joy to their parents. Not because of earthly accomplishments, but because they give their hearts to the Lord. They respond to God's gracious work in them so that they repent of their sins and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are pious, those who are godly, those in whom God has worked and saved and made beautiful in his sight, we love them. Homes that are patterned after God's word. 
where the head of the home loves his wife and gives himself to her selflessly. Not where there's fighting and bickering in the marriage. That godly home is where the father and the mother both are there for their children and willing to spend time with their children rather than doing everything else to get ahead in the world. I know of a couple who adopted a bunch of children. You say, that's a wonderful thing that they took them in the home. The only sad thing, dad and mom both go to work every day and the children are all put into daycare for someone else to raise. And you say, what did you have children for in the first place? Adopted. No, that covenant home that brings joy and glory and honor is where parents are there for their children, nurturing them, loving them, sharing time with them, and where the children then love their parents and obey their parents and grow up as sons and daughters of God. Crown of glory. That brings me thirdly to the mandate then. So the meaning, crown of glory... The message that comes, we are that crown of glory when we live godly lives. And so now, the mandate. For God uses that godliness, that pious living in the home for the next generation, but also as a witness in the community that we live in. What do the neighbors say about us? But more important than that, what does God himself say? We read in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck, crowned with glory. We crown our families with godliness. Godliness. Proverbs 20, verse 7, The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Proverbs 3, verse 3, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. So we live, we're called to live in godliness. Godliness that brings honor not only to the home, but brings honor to God who works it. God looks at our homes, and when we live in faith and love and obedience to him, he says of our homes as he did of the home of Job, have you seen my righteous servant Job? God was exalted in his own work in Job's life, and may God be exalted in his own work in your and my lives, whether we be parents or grandparents or children or children's children. 
It means that we try to keep the world out of our homes, keep the ideals and the sinful corruption that is out there in the world, whether it come to us by media, by television, by internet, by magazines, by books, or just living in the culture. Our homes, beloved, should be a refuge from the wickedness of that world. Our home should be like that rock that followed the Israelites through the wilderness. Our home should be like that manna that would fall in the barren land that they walked through. Is your home, is my home a refuge for us? Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, says the psalmist. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. So over against the wickedness of the world and their definitions of marriage and of families and what's important, we hate that. And we strive to bring our homes under the influence of God's word. God's word being the lamp to our feet, the light upon our path. How do we do that? How do we do that I ask on this Father's Day, as fathers and grandfathers, be a crown and glory in our covenant homes, number one. First of all, by meeting our responsibilities in the home. There is responsibility given upon us with the wonderful privilege that we have of having children God's given different roles to us. There is the father who is to be the head of the home, to lead that home in the word of God, to lead them in godliness by his own example, by his life. Be a teacher. Love your family selflessly. Lives of children are destroyed by bad role models. Dad is an alcoholic, and now a son becomes an alcoholic, and it ruins his life and his family. A father is abusive to the wife, speaking harsh words, and often the son takes that over also in his marriage, treating his wife that way. How sinful, how sad. Rather, our lives and our homes should be patterned after our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven loved us so much that he gave his only begotten Son for our salvation. And our obedience as boys and girls in the home should be like the Father's obedient Son, Jesus Christ. What does God say about that Son of His? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So as fathers and grandfathers, our lives have to be patterned after God's own example to us and His Word. What an honor it is for us to have God as our Father and to be a part of the family of God. 
But now how do we do this as children, make sure our homes are crown of glory? We pattern ourselves after Jesus Christ. He was obedient, wasn't he, to his Father in heaven, even though it meant his death on the cross. We read of him that he grew in stature and favor with God and men. In other words, Christ was not calling glory to himself, but he was suffering to bring glory to God. And that means, boys and girls, too, be obedient. Don't rebel. Don't slam doors. When your parents, when your father is on you 24-7, on your case, in your face, don't roll your eyes. Don't disparage them. Don't rebel. For those are not innocent stages of teenage years, but what that is is aggravated depravity. It brings shame to parents when they have rebellious children. It is the defiance of the government of God that he has given you these godly parents and grandparents. Two places in Scripture that talk about that. Romans 1, verse 30. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents... And the list goes on, they are worthy of death. Or again, Paul writes to Timothy, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. And he goes on then, their follies shall be known to all men. Oh, be careful what lives you live. For our Father in heaven is looking down in love. He knows his children. May we acknowledge him. May we acknowledge what our Father in heaven has done and is giving to us. And we, may we live for him, emulate him, emulate his Son, Jesus Christ. But notice with me lastly, it's not so much all about the glory and the honor of a Christian home, but ultimately it is about the glory of God in his church, living here in the world. So it's not family pride I'm talking about. Yes, all my kids are doing pretty good. All my kids are in the church. Not family pride at all. Not one of us would be in the church without our God and Father having chosen us, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. It's not about our getting the credit as parents, but rather the credit is all God's. We're not concerned what people are going to say about us, but we are concerned about what God says about us. Implied in our text, beloved, is that our children are a gift of God. Hear that, boys and girls. That is the way that we see and treat you as parents, as grandparents, as your pastor, as your elders. You are precious to us. 
As we read in Psalm 127, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So there are many gifts that we receive at home. Remember, that's what I started the sermon with. Have you counted what a gift godly parents are, grandparents are? Have you counted what a gift godly children are? And now I end with it. We receive many gifts in life, but hardly is there anything as precious as covenant children who know and love and serve the Lord. What a gift. And I hope, boys and girls, you say today to your father or to your grandfather, thanks, Dad. Thanks for the Christian home. Thanks for loving me. Thank you even for spanking me when I was naughty, for grounding me, because I know you love me. Amen. Father, we know, and that's why we pray now, that it is thy work and thy grace that enables us to be godly. It is thy sovereign power and grace that makes our homes different from the homes in the world. Places of refuge, where parents love to be with their children and children love to be with their parents and listen to them. Where children can even go back to their grandparents, thanking them for the influence in their lives. So, Father, from thy word, Help us then to step forth from this place, living our lives for the blessing upon the rest of our homes, but also as a testimony of our love to thee and thy grace in Christ Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.